Sunday. I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. Some of you may be traveling. We want to be praying for one another as we do that. Uh, but next week, uh, we are going to uh, be getting together, which is uh, Christmas Eve day, right? Right the day before Christmas. And, and so uh, we'll probably have a bit more of a Christmas theme next week. But we're going to return to the book of Job this morning. And I understand that it could be that maybe uh, you are uh, a guest with us today or maybe uh, you have not been able to be here for some of the things we've talked about. And so just extremely briefly, let me give you a, a bit of review. Uh, we're talking about a man who God allowed to have something, some very awful things take place in his life. Um, and and for, from God's perspective, it was God testing him. But Job doesn't know that yet. He just had all these things happen to him. But on Satan's perspective, he wanted to prove God wrong. He wanted to destroy this man to the point where he would curse God. And that's what Satan said would happen if he was allowed to uh, basically rattle his cage. I mean, he, you know, to do some awful things to him. And so God said, you can go ahead and do that. And so with God's permission, Satan attacked Job two times. The first, it was all that he had, and the second was his person gave him a terrible disease that he could not get any, any relief from, all right? And so with all of that, we, have, we now have these friends who have come to, in their own words, to comfort Job, to bring him some relief through their, their presence and through their, their talking with him. And the problem is they have done nothing but add to his sorrows, um, they feel that they have to tell him, look, Job, you've really messed up. I mean, you are, have to be a horrifically sinful person for these things to have happened to you, and so you need to change your ways. And what Job is saying is, that's not the case, and we're going to see more about that today, but that's kind of where we're at. So several weeks ago now, we heard Job's second friend, Bildad, um, and they have funny names, but that's because they lived long ago in the Middle East, okay? But we saw that Bildad based his criticism of Job on the traditional beliefs passed down to them by their forefathers. And so they had already had this system of belief that, that he was sticking to. And we can see Bildad's summary of what he believed in chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. It says, for inquire, please, you know, check into this, right? of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were, we were born yesterday, and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? So he's the traditionalist. He's saying, you need to, to remember what's been passed down. All right? These things are true. We're, we're, we're dumb compared to them. These things are true. We need to learn from them. So what I want to do now is just very briefly go through how we saw Eliphaz, the first friend, and Bildad, but together, right? There's another man named Zophar. They, they, were, they were together all kind of saying the same thing. So even though one person's talking, they're all in on it. And so here's how they were basically treating Job up to this point. They really had no consideration for him, for his condition. That's not a good way to begin helping somebody, right? 
they charge Job with being inconsistent, and at least Eliphaz did that. It says, you know, you, you've helped others, but now you won't take this help, right? Uh, Eliphaz relied on mysticism, right? Remember he said, hey, I had this dream. This is revealed to me, and now this is the message to you, all right? If, if someone starts a message to you like that, beware, all right? Uh, they became harsh, and Bildad especially was, was just downright mean to him in several ways. They, misapplied, they had misapplied advice. It wasn't necessarily bad advice. It just wasn't for Job. So if you give advice to someone who that advice should not go to, it's useless at best, and it can be extremely hurtful at worst. This was extremely hurtful, all right? Then I've kind of highlighted just where Bildad was in the end of this. He directly charged Job with sin. Eliphaz kind of hinted around about it. You know, you might have a problem, right? Bildad basically just said, you are off the mark. You need to get things right. And then he belittled Job's accomplishments and his own wisdom. We learned Job was a great man. That was one of the reasons why we saw this, this flip that took place when Satan attacked him, how graphic and, and, and difficult it was. He had much and he lost much, okay? But here, Bildad is saying, eh, you know, you started off small, but if you, if you turn, if you, if you get right, God's going to bless you, okay? So this kind of leads into... Job's friends' poor theology, all right? So we're going to just review this very briefly. What they said was good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people, all right? Now, we kind of chuckle at that because we've examined that a little bit, but the reality is there are literally billions of people in the world where if you boil it down, this is their theology, all right? Eliphaz says, based upon observation and backed up by a dream, this is what I believe, right? So it was all what I see and what I feel. It was all experience. Bildad, on the other hand, it was based upon the tried and true teachings passed down by his forefathers. Tradition. That's what we stand on. Uh, same beliefs, different viewpoint. And what they basically said was, you cannot go against the system what is, according to them, God's system. Now, again, it was flawed. There were some things that they said about the Lord that were true, but there were plenty of other things that they said. It just wasn't true, and we know that that's where Job is struggling. Okay, So that's where we're at. So today we're going to see how Job responds to his second friend. Now, along with that, as we've been progressing, we've been hearing Job saying different things. He's, he's been... He's been um, just crushed by all that took place. And he has shared with us from his heart how he feels about this. But what we're going to see here now is kind of formulating where his mind is in all of this. All right. So this is a very important chapter. Is it the key chapter in the book? Maybe not, but it's important to the conversations that we're now in. And by the way, God is going to respond to some of this later on in the book. All right, so that's kind of cool. So as we um, get into this next part, then it's going to be, how can I be right before God? This is one of Job's burning questions. How can I be right before job, before God? <laughs> job, 
Anyway, all right, I think I put two words. Um, so, so as we look at this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through and, and review what we've already read with, with some of the things on the screen, uh, but, but not all of them. Some of those I'll just ask you to follow along in your Bible. But we're going to start here in Job chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and it says, Then Job answered and said, Truly, I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? So there's that question. So what we see here is in the beginning, um, you know, he's, he's saying uh, with emphasis, I know that what you're saying is true. So he acknowledges that there's some truth to what Bildad is saying, right? There's some character qualities of God. There's some different things that he said that was right. But then the rest of Job's response reveals these plainly acknowledging that God is just, okay? He, he's plainly acknowledging that. Job then speaks of God's sovereignty. So here we have, you know, I know you're right, but I've got this question that I'm asking. I know God is just, and I also know that he is the one who rules over all things. And so he, he identifies God's sovereignty in two main ways. The first one is God's character. In Job 9.4, it says this, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and prospered. Okay, So we see two areas here. Wise. God is all wise in all that he does, and he is strong. He's all powerful. So when we have an all wise, all powerful God doing things, they're going to be amazing, right? And that's what we see. So in verses 5 through 9, if you kind of follow along in your Bibles, God acts in wisdom and strength in several ways. He says he shakes the earth, earthquakes. He shades out the sun and the stars. God is referring to clouds, but also probably to the solar eclipse. Okay? In other words, as, as God is in control of all things, if he doesn't want the stars to shine at night, he just covers them up. Right? And so on. It says here that he spread out the heavens. That's a past tense thing, but he treads on the waves. This indicates that the seas are also his domain. Now, today we have, you know, large ships and we go back and forth, but it's still a very dangerous place. It's a very mysterious place. Think about it back then, right? To just look out at a large body of water and, and just think, okay, right? You know, and, and, and even now we know very little about what's under the surface. We know some, but we know very, very little. And basically what this is saying is, this is God's domain. It is also very possible that Job is elevating the Lord at this point over what was an ancient sea god. Okay? In other words, the ancient peoples that were not followers of God had started to make these deities and so if God is out there treading on the ocean, so to speak, then he's treading all over that false God. All right, so that was the idea. It goes on to tell us that he made the constellations. That's what those um, uh, terms are there with Orion and so on. Job then gives a summary statement because there is no way he can adequately describe the amazing works of God in a nine uh, the same chapter we're in, verse 10, he says, he does great things past finding out, yes, wonders without number. 
This, this idea of great things and wonders are both what we would call superlatives. These are, these are like this fantastically amazing type of idea. These are amazing supernatural acts of God. And by the way, do we not have our scriptures filled with those accounts? Right? The crossing of, of, of the Red Sea and, and so many other things that we could say that were miraculous in nature. Uh, Christ even coming. God the Son is, is a miracle. Every salvation, everybody who comes to know Christ as their Savior is actually a miraculous thing because the Bible says that he turns a dead soul into a living person. We are new creations in Christ. If we're dead spiritually, right? Not that we don't have a spiritual side to us, but if, if we are dead in our sins and he makes us alive, that is an amazing supernatural event. Amen. So Job says that these acts are beyond understanding and they are also beyond numbering. Think about it. If God is in control of the universe, how do we number the fact that he holds everything together constantly every second moment after moment minute after minute day after day and so on just that alone but job voices two problems that he has with god's sovereignty the first is he says that god is hidden in verses 11 through 13, we're staying in Job 9, so I need to keep saying that. But it says, if he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? And who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. So here's my question to you. Have you ever felt that God has left you? That he isn't there? that you're asking, but you're not getting a response. Now, we know that God does speak to us through his spirit, but he also speaks to us through his word. Job, we don't understand. We don't know. It wasn't revealed to us how communication took place, how, how people knew what they knew. Certainly, some of it was passed down appropriately. But he just doesn't feel that God is there. In all fairness to Job, there is no message from God in any form until after his friends have finished speaking. So through this whole experience that he's had up to this point, there has not been any communication to him. So because of this, Job is powerless to stop God or even question what he does. Right? He, he doesn't know what's happening. The second thing is Job says that he can't get a fair hearing with God. Now what I'm going to do here is kind of give you a bigger picture into the chapter because this is kind of mixed in. And, and my thinking is difficult to kind of go back and forth. That's just the way my brain works. Maybe yours too. Maybe it's kind of our Western mind a little bit, but we kind of like things linear, right? And so I just have to do this for myself. And so what we're talking about here is uh, Job's legal plea in this chapter. There's some legal language here. Some of it's more obvious than others, but we're just going to go down through this. His legal plea, in other words, I need justice is what he's saying. I need some help here. These things are happening to me, and I'm struggling because I understand that God is in control of all things. I understand he's a just God, but man, what's happening to me doesn't feel right. So verse 3, he says, if one wishes to contend with him. In other words, 
if I had a case with God, right, that's the first mention of this. In verse 14, he says, how can I answer him? And this answer is the idea of being in court and giving an answer for something, right? How can I answer God? Verse 19, who will give me my day in court? That's pretty obvious, right? I'm being crushed. Terrible things are happening to me. I don't understand it. I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. I'm trying to take my experiences and, and who God is and bring them together. And I'm struggling. If I could just come to court and plead my case and then have God be able to respond, maybe something could come of this. Verse 24. But he says, God blinds the judges. Um, the idea here is, is that even the earthly judges aren't necessarily going to judge correctly. It's almost like they've taken a bribe. In other words, they're on God's side, I guess is kind of how he's talking about this, right? And then we see in verses 32 uh, and 33, God is not a mere man to go to court with. That's, that's what Job kind of concludes as he's, as he's going through this. And then he also says, and I have no one to mediate between us. I don't have anyone as a go-between. So I'm struggling here. I, I can't see God working. I don't hear him. I don't know if he's there. And I don't understand what he's doing. This is where Job is right now. Which then comes to the next question that is just wearing him out how can God be just when I suffer I'm going to read for you part of verse uh, chapter 19 again to kind of set this up it says for he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause he will not allow me to catch my breath but fills me with bitterness it is as a if it is a matter of strength indeed he is strong and if it is of justice, who will appoint my day in court? We already saw that part. Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. We're going to get into these verses a little bit more. But Job gives a vivid description of what he's experiencing. He feels crushed. This is the idea just smashed, pulverized, right? Um, and I, I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm just saying... It's like, it's like, you know, five-day-old roadkill. That's where, that's where Job is, right? I am just destroyed. He says he suffers, suffers numerous wounds so that he can't even catch his breath. They just keep on coming, right? I just keep on experiencing this. And it's almost like I'm drowning here. From the beginning of the book, we recognize that Job, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. It is not only what the author says about Job, describing Job, but unknown to Job, it is also how the author says the Lord described Job. God said the same thing two times. Now, Job is not perfect. We know that. But there is nothing current in his account that can be held against him. That's where he's at at this point. Let's say this another way. 
Job has actively and consistently been living his life of faith and obedience before God without thinking, saying, or doing anything that would offend the Lord. Wow, would you like to have a day like that? This was a consistent lifestyle that he was living. And yet Job's suffering is absolutely off the charts. We, we can't, don't get me wrong, we can relate to him in certain ways, but to the magnitude of what he's suffering, we, we just can't fully relate. And there's a purpose for that. We've talked about that a little bit, and we'll talk about that some more. But today, I just want to help us understand that before we go to our next point, I want to add one other component here. Let's consider verse 2 again. I'm just going to read it for you. And I, and I added this. I know God is sovereign, but how can a man be righteous before God? Right? That's what he's saying. I know this about God. I know what you're saying. That's what he was telling his friend Bildad. But notice what Job isn't saying here. Now, it's not always good to say, well, the Bible doesn't say something about this. Right? But here it's relatively safe, and I'll tell you why. He's not saying... I know God is just, but why did all of why were all of my livestock taking, taken from me? I know God is just. I know He's right. I know He's sovereign. But how could all of my crops be destroyed and almost all of my servants killed? Or I understand that God is the supreme ruler over all things, but why did all of my children die? That's not what He's saying here. So what is Job declaring through this question? Job is responding to God's justice with this question. He's saying, how can a person, how can I be righteous before God? This question reveals that Job's greatest suffering isn't what he lost. Folks, this is really important, okay? The question isn't about what he lost, although that was very great, and he does address that in other times. It isn't what he's presently suffering with as far as his health. It isn't what he's mourning over. What was unsettling, what, what has unsettled Job's heart the most is that he considers God showing his displeasure of Job through his circumstances. Job's sense of hopelessness ultimately comes from what he considers to be his disconnect with the Lord at this time. What brings him the most pain is that he no longer understands how to please God or if it's even possible anymore. In his mind, something has clearly changed and he has no clue as to why it has changed. So here's, in a summary statement, what we're talking about. Job is really suffering more because of what he perceives is a problem with his relationship with God than actually all that God has allowed to have happen. That is what's really digging at his heart. And I think that reveals really where Job's heart is, right? And yet we know, we know that Job is suffering precisely because God is pleased with him. So think about this. Here's this man that's saying, I am wrecked. I am ruined. I don't know why. I can't see where God is. 
I, I, I'm, I'm pleading for justice. I don't know how to do that. It's impossible. What's happening? And all of this is happening because God says, you are righteous. <laughs> That's where Job is. So really what that brings us to is an equation that just doesn't add up. Now, folks, I, I'm, I'm not a math person, okay? So I, I kind of threw something together here, but if it doesn't look right, if it doesn't add up to you, don't worry about it. It's just a further illustration, okay? But if we look at this, God's equation, I'm sorry, Job's equation just doesn't add up. First of all, he says, I'm blameless. Is he wrong in saying that? No, okay, so we, we have, you know, I am blameless as a real number, so to speak. God is sovereign. He, he believes that, right? But I'm suffering. And I just don't see the justice in it. I'm blameless. I, I can't look. I've looked at my life. I mean, think about how many times Job would just run through the tape recorder, right, of his mind. And for some of you, it would be, you know, his Spotify station or whatever. I don't know. But, you know some other kind of memory. But you get what I'm trying to say. Younger folks, tape recorder. What's a tape recorder? But anyway, you get what I'm saying. He's, he's reviewing this back. YouTube, that's what it would be. It would be the YouTube of his life. And he's saying, what have I done wrong? I, I, I've kept things right with God. I can't go back and say, oh, there it is. That's why I have been just completely demolished, right? Even the degree of sin would, just doesn't match his life. Even if there was sin, to be punished in this way, God would not do. You see what I mean? But there isn't anything. Again, not a sinless person, but a blameless person. Different. So I'm blameless. God's sovereign. He's in control of all things. I get that. What's going on? Because now I'm suffering horrifically. I don't know where he is. I don't know what's happening. I don't see the justice in this. That's where Job is. By the way, where would you be in this? Right? I'm not sure if I would have made it to this point. So let's kind of illustrate this through this chapter. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 20 21. Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. When he says I don't know myself, he says I don't even regard myself. In other words, I, I don't even take that into account. You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, my life's over. Okay? So even though he's arguing and stuff, what he's basically saying is, I, 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 get, I get, you know, that I'm not perfect, but I, I'm, I'm blameless here. You know, I, I, I haven't done anything to deserve this as a punishment. 9.4, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. We saw that earlier. So he acknowledges, right? Verse 19, for he crushes me with tempest and multiplies my wounds with, without cause. There's the suffering part. I'm blameless. God is a, a, a righteous God. He's a just God. He's an all-knowing God. He's an all-powerful God. But I'm crushed. 
Verses 22 and 23, look what this says. It is all one thing. Therefore, I say, he destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. So now this has turned into, well, here's my conclusion. God just wipes everybody out. It doesn't matter. Hmm. Now, again, from Job's point of view, why does he do it? Apparently, in God's sovereignty, what Job is now formulating his mind is that God just does this because he wants to. And it doesn't matter if you're righteous or you're wicked. He can do what he wants. We know that. And he can destroy you without cause. Hmm. That's not quite right, is it? All right, we'll, we'll get into that. First thing I want to do is remind ourselves that if we go to the end of the book, as it's concluding, but we're not concluding, <laughs> in Job 42, 7, it says this, And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, we, we'll get that later on, he then turns his attention to Job's three friends. The Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. As my servant Job has. Wait a minute. Are, are we reading the same thing here? Because Job just said something about God that wasn't right. Okay, we're going to work through that. Are we going to fully bring that to a conclusion today? Not necessarily, but we're going to try to work through it. So the question is, is Job right about what he says? No. <laughs> but a, a better question may be, what is Job really asking? Job is describing what he's witnessing and experiencing. And I remind you that we have observed that not only does, does Job lack any portion of the written word of God, right? This is in ancient times. He doesn't even have knowledge of the conversation in heaven that took place that we know about. He doesn't know what brought about his loss and his pain and his suffering. He has no knowledge of this. It just happened to him. So what we have here is Job's response to a friend accusing him of significant sin worthy of punishment. The little word if is used 16 times in chapters 9 and 10. We won't get to 10 today. It can be used in more than one way, right? It's usually a conditional statement. So let's look at this. It is most often used to communicate a possibility. Uh, let me give you a couple. If you finish your peas, you can go outside and play. Okay? If you've ever had to finish your peas to go outside and play, I'm sorry. Okay? I did not go outside and play. <laughs> but you get the idea. It's a conditional statement. If the peas are gone off your plate... Notice I didn't say you ate them. Then you can go outside and play. I just changed the rules. Anyway, if we leave in 10 minutes, we can still get there on time. That's a conditional statement, which many times we don't quite make those conditions, right? Let's look at a couple of scriptures that say this. Now, we're not going to teach through these. I just want to give you a couple examples of conditions that need to be met, the if statements. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. What are we talking about? Our salvation. 
If our salvation is based upon grace, it's no longer works. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer. Now, actually, the two definitions I'm going to give you today, they're both in here, kind of. But what this is saying is this. If you're going to try to work for your salvation, it ain't going to happen. But if it is of grace, if you're trusting that God is giving you something you don't deserve and you just take it as a free gift, then yes, you can have salvation. Okay? There's another one. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, any other form of good news, supposedly, to you, that what, then what we have preached to you, let them be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then that what you have received, let him be accursed. Okay, he repeats it because it's so important. Here's the thing. Here's the condition. If you hear something that is different than what we have given to you about who Jesus is and what he has done, then don't listen to that person. Consider them to be cursed by God. All right? That's an if-then statement. Obviously, if someone comes to you and they're speaking the truth, then this doesn't apply. So there's the condition. But if can also describe a condition that is already met. In these cases, we can place, replace if with a word like since. And we'll do that, okay? So here's an example. Here's one from the season. If the tag says 75% off, then the shirt is 75% off. Okay, that, that sounds like, well, if, well, here's the 75% off tag on it. Well, if it's on there, then it's 75% off, right? Since it says it's 75% off, it is. Really? Are you sure? Yes. All right. If moms are so self-sacrificing, then they should be honored more than one day a year. Now, that if isn't, if maybe they are, right? No, it's saying, since moms are so self-sacrificing, we should honor them more than just on Mother's Day. By the way, it's a good statement, right? I, I was thinking more moms would be saying amen at this point, but we're going to move on, okay? So Colossians 3.1 says this, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, is this saying, maybe so, maybe not? No. In this context, it's saying, since you were raised with Christ, since you now have life in Jesus Christ, what do you do? You seek those things which are above, where he's seated. And by the way, where he's coming back from. Right? And then Romans 8.31 what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, we don't know. Right? Since God is for us, then who can be against us? In other words, who can stand against us with God on our side? All right? So we won't necessarily explain this fully today, but I just want you to understand that when we're looking at these different ifs, you've got to figure out what kind of if they are, right? So all of this points, everything that we talked about points to someone who is trying to make sense of a situation in light of his relationship with the Lord. We mentioned that earlier. So Job, in trying to make sense of this calculation of who he understands himself to be, who he understands God to be, and how he perceives his circumstances, it just doesn't add up to him. He's not finding the answers. Therefore, we see Job trying to come up with 
an answer. And part of that is trying to answer the arrows of accusations and judgments that pierce Job's already deeply wounded soul. So I'm going to try to take Job's words and summarize them in a way that will help us understand the main aspects of Job's response. Job certainly, almost certainly viewed God the same way that his friends did. But Job was now confronted with the fact that his circumstances did not match his possible beliefs. The belief that God judges the wicked and blesses the righteous, right? Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. For Job, here he is living. He's serving God and God is blessing him tremendously. It fit. It fit the tradition. So what happens then is Job contends with his friends that it, this cannot be right because he, a righteous man, is experiencing horrifically bad things. The, 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 the um, equation that they've come up with isn't fitting. It's not working. And he now comes face to face with what that might mean. Job acknowledges God's wisdom and power and God's countless amazing supernatural works. But Job is struggling with his relationship with the Lord. Now, by that I don't mean that he's struggling as if he's going to sin. He just simply doesn't understand what's happening. The things that Job attributed to God's all-powerful control, earthquakes, hiding both the sun and the stars, signify God shaking Job's personal world and plunging him into darkness. Remember, this is poetry and this is imagery. Even though he's acknowledging God's greatness, what he's saying is, I have had my world rocked and I can't see what's happening. So because of this, Job is wrestling with God's justice. He struggles with knowing that he is blameless, a man of spotless integrity, but feels that his sufferings are an unfair punishment from God. Job says that no matter what he says or thinks, God can do what he wants, and Job has no way to plead his case. It's kind of like sometimes how kids feel with parents. Not that parents are doing something bad, but it's like, yeah, but I want to do this. No. Please let me do this. I said no. Right? That's kind of where he's at. God can do what he wants. I don't understand it. So Job concludes that God judges the wicked and righteous together and that God is unjust in doing this. So Job is right in telling his friends that they are wrong, believing that God has put a precise orderly system in place that has no exceptions. The wicked are punished and the righteous are blessed. But God is also, I'm sorry, Job is also wrong because he concludes that God is in control of all things. I'm sorry, let me back up. Since God is in control of all things, then both good and evil come directly unfiltered from God and they are his purposes, right? They're what he does. Based upon the questions Job is asking, these are legitimate wonderings of Job, but may not be firm conclusions. Do you get that? Now, I'm not saying that he's just kind of spitballing here, you know, yeah, maybe this, maybe that. You know, there, there's, there's some conviction that's going on here, okay? But he's reaching. 
he is in some very difficult circumstances. Um, we have, we have um, a couple of times talked about a, a man named um, Ash, Christopher Ash. He's one of the resources that I have. And, and he said some things I'm going to read for you that kind of put things in perspective better than I could. He, he's a much smarter man. So let's, let's see some of the things that he says. It is possible to be wrong and right at the same time. God will say that Job has spoken rightly about him. We saw that. And yet Job says a great many things about God that are not right. How are we to reconcile this apparent contradiction? Okay, so what I'm going to show here next is, is the two sides of this, okay? When we listen to Job's speeches, we need to bear in mind the distinction between Job's perception and Job's heart. His heart is the heart of a believer, which is why the Lord commends and affirms him in the end. But Job's perceptions are partial and flawed. We hear in these speeches the honest grapplings of a real believer with a heart for God as he sees what he thought was a secure worldview crumbling around him. This is why we hear Job say some things that are plain wrong, yet we hear him say them from a heart that is deeply right. That's helpful, isn't it? You see, Job's intent in saying whatever he says, by the way, this isn't saying that, that um, there's not a problem with what he says, but he's trying to figure things out, and it's not from the standpoint of, you know, there's something wrong with you, God, right? You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a rebellion. It's just it doesn't add up. So as we conclude this message, we're going to end the message in a little bit different way today. I normally try to bring some closure to what we've studied. Maybe we did that a little bit of that just now. Uh, sure, we could list some takeaways from what we have learned, but I think we can gain some important insight by considering that Job has no answers to the conflict that is on his heart. At this point, Job doesn't know. He, has, he, he, he can't figure things out. So here's just a, an example that we won't be able to relate to, guys. Most weekly shows resolve themselves in a half hour or an hour, depending on how long the show is, right? But some depict a certain slice of life and then end leaving us asking, what happens next? How does the story end? It's kind of the difference between what we see in a lot of, you know, either sitcoms or, or you know, dramas or whatever that, that are weekly and like a movie that takes this piece of a person's life and then you wonder, well, what, what happens next? I only got this little piece. You have to end the story. Well, they want you to come back for the next movie, but no. Many times, that's just it. They've told you the story, right? So we are working through the episodes of a documentary of Job's life, and it hasn't concluded yet. So we're right where Job is. Job ends the chapter with three possible solutions. Now, these three titles are also from Christopher Ashe's commentary. I just couldn't say it any better. But we're going to look at these. First one is, move on and cheer up. This is one of the things that Job could do as a response to what he just 
talked to his friend Bildad about. So this is what it says. If I say, I will forget my complaint. I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. Buck up, right? That's what he's saying. Stiff upper lip is what the British say, right? I'm afraid of all of my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. If I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? So here's the thing. What Job is saying here is maybe I'll just forget my struggle, stop wearing a sad face, and move on and live happily ever after. Does Job think that will work? Job's response is no. In Job's mind, even though he doesn't understand what is, what is happening, God has something against him and he cannot pretend it isn't happening. He can't pretend it doesn't exist. By the way, this is a lesson for us, right? Oh, I'll just forget about it. Everything's fine. Skip along. No problems, right? We can't just bury things. Next, I'll wash myself, okay? Now, this is symbolic, right? If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my clothes will abhor me. Now, there's a lot there. We're not going to unpack all of it. But what Job is saying is this. If I could even clean myself up, right? And this idea of snow water, that would be like extremely pure water being used, right? And, and there's that, that symbolism of purity. And then also, if I would use soap, and some translations say lie. So a very strong soap. The purest water I can find and the strongest soap I can find, I can just scrub my soul, right? That's not going to be enough. He says that, right? He doesn't see it making a difference in God's thinking. In God's thinking, God will still see him as cruddy dirty. And then lastly, he says, maybe I can find a mediator. For he, God, is not a man as I am that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. The idea there is, is the hand of judgment, right? This person's right, this person's wrong. Okay, that's the idea. Let him take his rod away from me and, and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Job's deepest desire is to find someone who can mediate between himself and God. Does Job think this can succeed? Well, here we'd have to say yes, but no. He's confident that it would work if he could find a mediator, but there isn't one. Now, one quick little hint as we close, we have a mediator, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he is the mediator, that he is the one who is, comes between ourselves and God and reconciles us together through his death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to find out more about Job and what we would call his Christology, the fact that he does believe that there is someone coming. All right? And this is one little hint of that that the author gives us. But the whole point is this. Where we leave ourselves this morning is, as we're stopping now, is Job is saying, you know, I came up with a few solutions. None of them are going to work. I'm stuck where I'm at. I don't know what to do. 
I don't know what God is doing. I haven't heard from him, and I can't address him. So, folks, here's the deal. Let me ask you a question first. Is God punishing Job? No. From his perspective, yes. But God is not punishing Job. God is testing Job. He's, he's putting his faith through some very significant paces to strengthen his faith and also to show Satan himself, hey, I have a righteous man and you can't break him. All right? So with all of that said, we might go through something where we just don't see what's happening. Now, we have James that tells us that if we lack wisdom, we can ask and God will give it to us profusely if we ask in faith. Right? There's a condition there. That if is not since. It's if as in if you ask in faith, he will give it to you. But think about this. You may not get the answers when you want them. You may not understand everything as you're going through because God is taking you through something that he wants you to grow by. And it's only through that process that that's going to take place. And you're going to have to last through it if, in fact, you're going to have God accomplish in your life what he wants you to do, which is ultimately to be more like Christ and to glorify him and, yes, even be of benefit of blessing to you. So this is something that we can learn from. Job's horrible experience, we can learn from it. It's open-ended at this point. It's not comfortable. But that's where we're at. That's where Job's at. Still sitting on that pile of ashes, still mourning the loss of everything, and still being counseled, comforted, <laughs> by his three friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just consider all that you have done for us, you have given us so much in Christ. You have given us so much in your word that we can take and we can apply to our lives. So as we just think about the struggles that we might go through, the frustration, the confusion, the questioning, the second-guessing of things, sometimes the exhaustion, our emotions just bouncing all over the place, and sometimes even hopelessness on our part. Lord, first thing we need to do is, is distinguish, are, are we actually being punished for something? Are we being disobedient and we're seeing you correct us? Well, Heavenly Father, I pray that we'll respond properly to that. But Lord, if, if we're being tried... I pray that we will understand, even though we don't understand all that's happening, that we will look ahead, we'll look above all of that and understand that you have a purpose. We might not see it, but may we faithfully trust you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.